Welcome to the Builders Podcast, episode 107, Daryl Evans, 30 years of entrepreneurship, leveraging email to stay top of mind and creating value. Before we jump into this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, hit that notification bell if you're on YouTube, and after a listen, please give us a thumbs up, like, and share if we've earned it. With your help, we can reach more people and deliver these valuable from the trenches lessons to those that need it. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another The Builders. Today, we are joined by Daryl Evans. Daryl is a the founder of MindShift Business Coaching. Uh, he is a serial entrepreneur. That's his, I'm looking at his bio now. Investor and co-founder of, is it Yokel, Local Internet Marketing? Uh, he is, uh, he has, and his team have helped entrepreneurs and companies generate over $300 million in revenue, and he's been online since 2011. He's personally started and operated six businesses since the age of 20, which is awesome. So obviously, he's got a little bit of experience. Welcome to the show, Daryl. Well, Matt, thanks, thanks for having me on the show, Matt. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah, awesome. And we will have no technical problems anymore during this uh, whole thing. Uh, anyway, so no, it's great. To, it's great to have you. You have a lot of great experience, and I think this is going to be a great discussion. Um, I am I'm stoked to t- always excited to talk to somebody that's uh, been in business uh, for real. You know, some really good businesses, and uh, so I'm I'm really it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. But on the builders, where we usually start, especially the first time we talk to you. Uh, is because I know you're going to be a comeback guest over the years, you know. Hopefully. Always always drop that. Hopefully I say something <laughs> good enough to, that you'll want yeah. me back. That'll be cool. We'll want you back. Some people come back like right away. They're like, hey, can we have a second one? Um, but no, we always start with uh, your story. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, uh, how you became an entrepreneur, uh, who influenced you? What influenced you? Why? Why you are the awesome person you are today, doing what you're doing? <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, again, thanks, Matt, for having me on the show. Um, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for 32 years now. So it, telling this story, I, I'd like to try to condense it into a couple of segments of that journey. And it starts actually with you know, people always ask me, well, how did you? What what prompted the entrepreneurial bug? And I always say, I make jokes, but I used to go to the grocery store with my mom and ironically, I didn't really want to go to the grocery store, but I wanted to read the magazines that, at the, that were at the magazine rack. I was, but I was always interested in entrepreneur Forbes, Inc, business opportunity magazines, even though I was an athlete and I was very intrigued by electrical things back then it was walkie talkies. And this is all before cell phones. Sorry, folks, I'm 53 this year. <laughs> so walkie talkies and remote control cars and things of that nature, everything wasn't virtual. And, but my eyes were always drifting towards the business stuff. At the same time Matt, I was, uh, uh, an employee at Taco Bell, which in the United States, very popular restaurant. I went from a fry being a fry cook to an assistant manager in a year or a year and a half. And then I was in college and became a general manager. So I decided to hang up my sports playing days after I knew I wasn't going pro and I was in engineering in college, but I'm also now running this restaurant at 20 years old, million, uh, 800 and something thousand dollar year restaurant. So it wasn't one of the biggest restaurants in the network. There were, I think 18 in the network locally. We were certainly one of the smaller ones at the time, Mm -hmm. but 20 year old, $800,000 year restaurant. And I'm in college. But it was at that time that I started my first businesses, my first business out of the trunk of my car, selling sportswear, hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, all the things you can think of. And I started selling them out of the trunk of my car on Saturday and Sunday at a swap meet. And that was to help fund my college and sort of put my first taste of entrepreneurship in it. Um, and I really wasn't called that probably really wasn't a business. It was more like a side hustle, but it was a profitable side hustle, right? Uh, how'd, you, some... how'd you come up to cut you off? Well, how'd you come up with that idea? Do you just, uh, well, you're um, in sport. Yeah, I, I, I love sports. It, it was natural. Yeah. Like if you catch me outside of a business function, I've got sportswear on. I've always, that's just my jam. Uh, I don't get caught up in, you know, that's just what I wear. Sweatshirts, hoodies, t-shirts. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an athlete at heart. I'm still an athlete. I still work out. And so that just was something that just felt natural for me. 
Um, and you and you knew about these uh, this opportunity, and you're like, this is what I could sell there. And I saw go. it in one of the books. Yeah. I saw it in one of yeah. the business opportunity books, and I found a vendor, and I said, well, let me just okay. send them a check. By the way, y'all, we used to send checks back in the day. <laughs> yes. I sent them a check. And I was, you know, and I just believed that if I sent the check and waited three or four weeks, whatever the product would take, it would get here. It's not, it wasn't Amazon Prime, y'all. Let me be clear. Um, you waited weeks Different to get days. the product, right? Yeah. So lo and behold, the boxes showed up with stuff in them. <laughs> nice. And I, think I, I, and I think I knew a little bit about marketing because I only sold the most popular stuff, whether I liked it or not. So I sold the Cowboys mm. and I sold the Pittsburgh Steelers back at that time. I sold the big names, the the Raiders. I didn't sell stuff that didn't that wasn't popular um wasn't because i didn't want to carry everything but i carried what people most likely were going to buy right, and right. Uh, i was of course growing up in las vegas i i was a lakers we didn't have sports back then in vegas we didn't have professional sports the way it's popping off now so we didn't have a sports mm -hmm. team here so i was a, a lakers dodgers rams fan so clearly i carried all the three la's of course we later know that the rams went to st louis and of course have come back but I was a diehard fan for those teams. And so I carried all the teams that were popular. And that's probably what made things work because I always had inventory that was coming off the shelf, if you will, because they were already popular teams. Um, right. I didn't care for the Cowboys or the other teams, but they people did. So I, I sold what everybody was, was, was uh, buying. You know, fast forward to college days. I get out of college 1996. I'd also started in real estate by that time. So I kind of hung up the commerce thing. I'm still at Taco Bell, by the way, as a general manager, getting tons of experience with management, P&L, top line, bottom line, expenses, hiring, training, empowerment, um, all of the things you can think of running a restaurant. And that just further fueled this idea of entrepreneurship. Once I realized the model was, hey, I can do as much as I can to help grow this business, but I'm going to get a I'm still up for a four or five percent increase every year. I'm like, oh, there's got to be a better way. I started in real estate, got my real estate license, finished in college. I ended up pivoting from engineering to business, finance, got my degree in finance, and I entered the uh, financial services world, which was sort of my third-ish business, if you will, by that time. So three in three st three stints of entrepreneurship before I even get out of college. Wow. Um, but the big the big run for me happened around 2000 when I entered the mortgage industry. Um, I'd liked the financial services model, but I didn't, it didn't feel like my calling. So I hung that up and, and went back to the, uh, the real estate world, which I still had a real estate license, which I just wasn't selling real estate. I didn't like being a real estate and it wasn't really my jam. And I went into the mortgage services world and that became the, the, the big run up. So we had a great, a great run up until what happened in 08, 09. And Matt, what happened was I started marketing online in 2003. And in 2003, I realized about, I, I found out about email marketing and automated drip systems. Then came a website. Then came this understanding that, oh, people are shopping online. So I was an early adopter to the internet. Uh, we, in our mortgage company, we launched our first lead generation campaigns online 2006. Uh, and so that became SEO. I, I think I started my first YouTube channel 2007 where we would take frequently asked questions that our customers were asking us. We'd, we'd document those answers to the questions, put them on YouTube. And the reason we put them on YouTube was because I was busy. We had a practice that had, you know, 30 to 50 loan applications every month. And as, as well as what was in process, I couldn't be available for everybody. I did have a team, but everybody wanted me because I was the brand. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way than answering the same question a thousand times. They all matter to the individual who needs the answer, but I don't have to deliver it one-on-one, -on -one, which started to give me this understanding of how to scale digital. So the YouTube channel became the drop shop, if you will. Whenever I was tied up, my team would just say, hey, by the way, Daryl's going to meet with you at three o'clock, but be sure to check out our YouTube channel. He has answered a lot of the most frequently asked questions about the home loan process, and I think you're going to get a lot of value out of it. By the time they got to my meeting, they were locked and loaded, ready to buy, right? So nice. yeah. it became clear to me that digital was about to change the game. And so when the market crashed, it gave me a chance to pivot my mindset and say, who else doesn't know about this? Because I'm, I don't wanna say I'm crushing it, but I'm crushing it comparatively. And I'm like, nobody seems to know what the heck is going on with the internet. And so I started consulting 2008, nine, probably more nine, 10, met my, met my former business partner with the agency, but we started the agency 2011. And, um, we started helping small mid-sized companies grow through the recession. And we've been doing that now for the last 12 years, very successfully. My former business partner uh, decided to leave the agency recently, 
And so now it's just me running the ship and we are changing the agency right now in the current dynamics of the digital wins. Um, but we've been to your, to your point earlier, we've, uh, been relatively successful helping companies grow. We haven't gotten it all right, but we've done, a, we've had a pretty good run with, uh, uh, with clients over the last 12 years and we're excited for the next, uh, the next run. Oh, fantastic. That's a good story. And you, you got it well pinned, like condensed. <laughs> I, was, I was engaged the whole time. That felt long. I love it. <laughs> that felt long. I felt like I was long winded. Like, like, wow. Yeah, I don't, I didn't want to interrupt you like that. You were on a roll. So no, it's, it's, it's awesome. I, and I love that you, you said 2003, you started doing the, going to on, online and, and doing stuff um, or figuring out what did you do in 2003? Email. Your, Email, yeah. the email stuff. First, yeah. yeah, the first thing I did was, um, you know, part of the reason before YouTube is I wrote out a lot of the questions. I just didn't have YouTube. I wrote out the questions and put them in a 52-week drip sequence. Nice. So if someone came to me, it was never yeah. urgent for someone to buy a house or get a mortgage that day, even if it was a refinance and the mortgage rates were falling or whatever the case was. It really, it was never, ever urgent for the vast majority of people. So my, I realized from my years, from my days in real estate earlier, from my days in financial services that you've got to stay top of mind. You've got to stay relevant mm -hmm. even when it's yes. not time to buy. So the question was, how could I be a resource? That was the phrase I've been using it for decades now. How can I be a resource even when they're not ready to buy? Well, then comes email and I'm like, hey, they, uh, perfect example I always use is one of my uh, niches back then was uh, VA home loans back then. Someone would be transferring to Nellis Air Force Base, which is the Air Force Base in my backyard in Vegas. And they were getting orders, let's say, from Sam Houston. I think Sam Houston is an Air Force base in Texas. Well, they would get the orders 10 months in advance. So let's say they're getting it in February. They're going to be here in November or December. Mm. Well, they don't need to buy a house yet, but they want to get the information. How do they use the VA loan? What are the prices like? What are the rates like? What are the how? Blah, 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 blah. Well, I don't want to be on a call with them every day answering those questions. They know that they don't need the mortgage today. It doesn't make sense for us to run credit, run a loan app and all this stuff. We do need to ask some general questions to see if they qualify. And they want to understand the process if they were a first time home buyer, let's say. And so I just documented all that stuff and put it in email. So if you came into my world, even to this day, if you come in my world, you're going to hear from me every week. To this day, I've still been teaching that. Nothing's changed. If you come into my world and you get on my email list, you're going to hear from me every week. It isn't hear from me every week so you can buy something. It's what can I add value in your world and what can I do to stay top of mind in case there's a day when you might need my help. So I've always had that philosophy. And so I put it into a 52 week drip sequence after they met with me for the first time and it worked really, really well. It, and, and it still works really, really well today. I got an email just not, uh, I think I got an email in November or December, Matt, we're recording this in February, a guy emailed me from 2015. Mm -hmm. He had the email that I emailed him in 2015. He forwarded me the email and said, Daryl, I'm finally ready. No kidding. No That's awesome. Why did he get the yeah. email from 2015? Well, because whatever, what I said to him in that email, he bookmarked and he kept it. And, you know, so it's, it's I always say business growth is a game of perseverance, but it's also a game of patience. And I think, we don't realize that every person who came into our world to inquire about the thing that we sell, 50% of them are likely going to buy it. You just don't know when. And so when you don't make enough sales, it's because you weren't around when they needed it. You might've been around when they inquired about it, but then you didn't do a good enough job to stay there when they needed it. And that's the impatience I find with digital. And we can maybe get into this, but, and get into other types of business building concepts, but it is the simplest thing to do, Matt. Everybody can do it. Everybody can have an email system, but nobody, most people fail in the discipline of delivering something of value 52 weeks a year and then 52 weeks next year. And here's the secret, Matt. Everybody's not going to open your emails and that's okay. Which means you don't have to write unique content 52 weeks every year. You recycle the content the next year, update ah. it for what's new and relevant. You don't have to sit down and write 50 new pieces of things every week, uh, every year. I'm sorry. You recycle 
you update, you go back and look at what's in your cadence. You say, what's new about that topic this year that wasn't relevant last year? Send out the same email. A couple of tweaks. SEO don't change. SEO, the process of SEO hasn't changed in 12 years. But what just changed recently is Google made an update. So now I edit mm -hmm. that email to address the update that just happened in December on this year's email. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah, that makes actually a lot of sense. That's yeah. Let me be clear. I'm lazy, yeah. Matt. I'm very lazy. <laughs> Let me be clear. I'm not going to work any harder than I have to and try to recreate the wheel. I, open, right. I look at my open rates. My open rates are about 25 to 30% on my distribution, which is not, it's not great. Certainly not horrible. Uh, one of our clients runs at 60%, 70% open rates. So I feel like I'm, I've got a ways to go, but I've been doing this a long time. But if I know that only one in three or one in four are going to open the email, did they see the email anyway? They didn't even mm. see 75% of mm. my emails. So we have to simplify marketing to the point of doing the thing consistently without overwhelm. And the vast majority of people didn't even see your first message or your second yeah. one or your. <laughs> That's right. Well, it, so this is all. So there's um, so much you're you're putting so Sorry, much man. out there that I want to dig into. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> but this is all. But this is all a numbers game, right? So, um, you you're in. This actually can be also applied to like social media or whatever. That not everyone's going to see every piece of content. Yep. But you do it consistently. On social media, we, you know, my agency, we, tr we try to put content out every day. We do this podcast, yep. we do other things. Um, and with the knowledge, knowing that not every person that's following us is going to see that every day, or they're going to be in a position to be at the top of their inbox just at that moment when my email hits or, that's right. or our post hits, they log into LinkedIn. It's like right at the moment we, you know, right when our piece of content just landed. Uh, but that doesn't happen. But some of them do, right? That's right. So, and, and the, when you said top of mind, that's, that's part of this whole gig as well is staying top of mind. So when they are ready uh, to engage with you or they see something in that moment, uh, they might've seen a dozen pieces of content or emails um, or a hundred before they are at that moment, they're ready to reach out to you. So, that's right. yeah. Cool. But I, I go back. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I've, I can't remember if we talked about this in our, you know, when we talked uh, on our intro call or anything like that, but I go back 20 years to the, to the, to the year as well. That's why 2003 really rang a bell. Cause that's when I actually entered yeah, the internet yeah. space. Yeah. And, um, I remember your OG from our first call where like, that's what we shared. Like <laughs> yeah. we're all, we've been in this game for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a little while. And I came in an insurance, you were doing mortgages. I was, I had the an insurance website was my first I remember website. Yeah. And, uh, and it kind of, in some ways I wish I would have figured out how to leverage that more and stay with insurance instead of getting sucked into affiliate marketing and everything else I did. Hmm. Um, but I had fun. Uh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's an, an email was a big part uh, was one of the things I, learned a lot about back in the early days, even back then it was email was even bigger in those days, right? It's, it's still a thing, but it's back then that was, there wasn't social media and all that stuff. Right. And it was like, right. email was the thing. It was. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And, and so learning how to use autoresponders and, and drip emails and stuff was, was an art form. Um, that hasn't left me either. I'm not very good at it today though. I, well, I'm, I'm good at it in terms of, I know what to do, but the time to do it, Matt has not made enough time to do it. Uh, so maybe you're inspiring me today to, to do more. Um, one of the things I think that one of the mental things you, you throw out the 52 weeks and, um, one of the things, uh, and I'm curious how you approach this. You, you don't, do you write, like if you are advising somebody to, you know, build like you're doing here to build out a campaign of 52 emails, even though you're lazy and you're going to recycle those, you have to write them initially. You do. Uh, do you write them? Do you sit down and write all 52 at once? Or do I you don't. do like I tend to do and write maybe 10 and maybe they're every two weeks for a while until you write some more and then you get to that 52 and you just kind of so slowly build it out over time. Yeah. I try to keep it as uh, I always advise uh, that a client do what's in their best capability, right? Not everyone is a writer and I respect that and I acknowledge yeah. that. 
I have built a skill. I, I wouldn't have, I didn't come out of the womb, a writer. Um, I've yet to write a book that is still on my bucket list. I believe I've got three in me, but I have not encountered that endeavor. So I can't speak to that yet. What I am good at is writing, um, web copy, email copy. I'm good at writing answers that are in my, in my head that would have come out of my mouth. See, if I would have said it, I should write it. See, so mm. I, I keep it simple. The way I, I just taught this class a week ago, Matt, and I'll just share with your audience. So here's the fastest, easiest way to come up with content, whether it's for social email or what have you is sit down and write down the top 10 to 20 frequently asked questions that your customers ask you as they're inquiring about your product or service, then write the questions they ask you during the delivery of your product in service. And then ask, then there's some questions that they'll ask, they'll ask in the support world of your product or service. I call it the before the during and the after. So what are they asking you before they become your customer? What are they asking you while you're in the delivery of the product or service as your customer or, or client? And then what are they asking later on? Like what other needs do they have? For example, Matt, you build websites, you've been building websites for 20 years. But what else are they asking you about after the site's done? Are they asking you about social? Are they asking you about those? So there's there's 30 to 50 questions right there if you really think about it. Now, to your point of how do you write them? Well, you write them the way you want to write them. Today, everybody can either speak with their mouth, which they're going to do with their customer anyway. So you and I are on a podcast. Well, you don't even have to get that fancy. You can literally sit down with your phone and speak into the voice notes the answers to the question. So you look at the question. Let me get one that comes up in my world. It's a bad question, but people do ask it. How fast does it take to rank on the first page of Google? It's a terrible question. It's a bad answer. It's a bad question. Can't be answered shortly, but I could sit down literally and say, one of the frequent, frequently asked questions I get is how fast can we rank on the first page of Google? Well, the answer is it depends. And I know that answer sucks, but here's the fact of the matter. Google's looking for relevant content that is qualified, ranked, et cetera. And I can finish the question in, in one minute. What I can then do is take that video or that audio and transcribe it with a service like Otter or all these different services. And now the audio transcription is in your hand. You can do some quick edits to it. Boom. Now you have an email, put it into your autoresponder. You're done. So anybody can do that. Everybody can do that because almost everybody was going to speak to that person about that question anyway. So mm -hmm. don't overcomplicate writing. Uh, this isn't now there's a different craft and art to a blog post. This is not that this is how do you stay top of mind with a question that they would have asked you anyway. And if they came into your world, you should assume that they are, they're going to have it at some point. And I always advocate that it's better that you give them the answer before your competitor does. Yeah, that's it's true. better that you give them the answer before your competitor does. And the issue is, is if you give them an answer to all their questions, when it does come time for them to buy, you're going to be the authority and there won't be a competitor. They won't go looking for anybody. You said authority right when I was thinking authority. Yeah. We're, we're in tune. Yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly what you're doing. You're building authority by talking to them and answering these questions for them. So uh, naturally, if they have another question or they... You become the expert they want to come and the to. key is you look yeah. some people ask me daryl i don't have time to answer questions so if i send the question out what if they have another question what if they get the email and then they have a question that's not the what if they have another question uh that's called engaging in a dialogue yeah if you met them at a networking event and you told them what you did and they told you what you know etc that's called engaging in a dialogue wouldn't you answer the next question if they asked you a second question after the first question? Of course you would. So engage in a dialogue. It seems like everybody today, not everybody, seems like there's a chunk of entrepreneurs today that want, once they get online, they want it all to happen in a digital mechanism. You know what I do? I give out my email address to all my leads. If you come into my world, you get my personal email address. I invite you to write back in any email. I invite mm -hmm. you to ask a question. Well, Daryl, you charge, you know, you charge $1,500 to have a consultation. Why would you then give them a free consultation through an email? You misunderstand. That's not a consultation in an email. That's me answering a question, right? Which could lead to a convert, a, a consultation. You know, everybody wants to run straight to the checkout line or the, the checkout link, right? To get paid for your advice. And I get it. You've earned it. I just said this to one of my coaching clients yesterday. 
There's a difference between mentorship, answering questions, coaching, and advising, in my mind. And there is a time when you should ask for proper payment for the engagement. But answering right. an email is not one of those. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. one of those. Right? So yeah. your job is to, to be helpful. And again, if, we, if we're a professional and we're, you know, if, if we're trying to be a helpful resource, resource, show that we're an expert at what we do, build authority, gain trust, and be the person they choose or product they choose or service they choose, then let's do that. And everything else will fall by its wayside, right? I mean, I grew up and I learned early days from a, a man by the name of Zig Ziglar, who's since passed away, one of the most prolific teachers in my time. And it. he had a very simple phrase. Everybody's heard it. It's kind of cliche, but I live by it. And it, it you know, didn't originate from Zig, came out of the Bible. If we're really going to get crystal clear about it, right? Help enough other people get what they want, and you'll ultimately get everything that you want. It doesn't mean help enough people get what they want after they pay you, and then you'll get everything you want. No, that's not what the quote says. So -hmm. there's a scarcity mindset that seems to come along in some cases when people do digital marketing. Um, I can't do it anymore on my social channels. One of my social channels, a couple of my channels have very little engagement, but one of them gets a lot of engagement. I can't keep up with the comments. On Facebook, I can't keep up. I actually borderline get overwhelmed because I feel mm. semi-obligated that if they took time out of their day to write me a comment, I semi feel a little bit of burden to reply. And in yeah. some days it's 20, some days it's 12, some days it's 47. And I only log in at night at eight, eight o'clock, eight 30 and, and check to see how much engagement. And it's like some days it gets overwhelming. Now mm. that's probably an undue burden that I'm putting on myself. I don't think they all care if I comment but I feel a little bit of an obligation that if I shared something that moved them to write me something. <laughs> so yeah. it's a balancing act. But again, the goal here is let's just share abundantly and, and be a helpful resource. And one of my core mottos, Matt, is positively impact lives. That's what's my mission. If I didn't, if I ended it all, I would want someone to say, he helped me in some way. He positively impact me when we had our interaction. That's yeah. my goal. If it leads to commerce at some point, great. If it doesn't, great. Leads to us to having a great cup of coffee or a breakfast or a dinner, fantastic. Um, commerce is not my entire life. And so it's, it's, it cannot be a resource if so. And if not, I'll refer you to someone who I think could help you in your situation. Well said. Well said. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, we're here to help people. And sometimes it's just one reply to a comment that helps somebody and steered them in the right direction. And, that could have this ripple effect and, and really improve their lives. Other times you have to have that consult full consultation and really engage with them. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are shy to give away all their secrets, give away all their, um, this is a common thing on, on the web. You hear people yep. are uh, fearful of, why would I give away all my secrets up front and, and make all this content posts or even in the emails and stuff, you're giving away all this stuff. But that just, I think people also, um, those are little pieces and they're not uh, contextual always to that particular person. Maybe it's in the neighborhood, but I think really where the value then eventually comes if you, well, it depends on what your model is and if you're consulting or whatever. But um, like for me, like I, for example, in my, in doing web design development, we have a lot of obviously posts about web design and development and, um, and pain points where, you know, we try to weave all that into our content. Um, but at the end of the day, somebody's going to want to actually talk to us and take that next step because they don't, you might have all this stuff out there. You might have eBooks, you might have reports, you might have blog posts, you might have all this stuff, but everyone's not going to go out on the web and find all your stuff. They want to just talk to you and you tell them what they need in their context. Um, so, I think that's one of the things I try to think about as well is, is, you know, we're going to, we have all these different things we're putting out there, but at the end of the day, somebody's going to, they're going to want to talk to you because they don't want to sift through it all. They they right. want to, they want to actually uh, talk with you directly and ask you the questions that are relevant to them and uh, what their pain points are. Um, because yeah, we know a lot of stuff and we put a lot of stuff out there, but until I actually talk to somebody and ask them the questions and figure out what, 
their issues are and what we're trying to do for them. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, that's, that's where it all kind of, kind of comes together. But yet, like I said, it's, it's not, uh, again, it comes down to the numbers game. You're putting all this out there. Some people it's, you know, it's just enough to see your content and that gives them what they need or something you wrote, uh, you know, gives them everything they need. Uh, but at the same time, there's that percentage that want to take it a step further and talk to you. And, and mm. it's just that funnel. Yeah. I simplify it to yeah. say now I've got enough at bats in the professional services world to know the vast majority of people are not do it yourselfers. Yeah, exactly. They're just not, well, that's the thing. Yeah. They're just not. Right. So, so the fact of the matter is the most successful people on the planet outsource or have teams of experts around them, mm -hmm. right? Does no one here listening? Everyone knows Henry Ford's story. No, Henry Ford, if you really understand, he didn't know half of the stuff it took to build a car. He put people around him, right? And so the vast majority of, of our clients who come to you, the vast majority of clients who come to us, they don't want a solution that they can do it themselves. They want to know that they, they want to know you've got a process, right? They can Google the what yeah. they're buying your how, right? Right. They can Google the what none of the, what is secret. I mean, even the word secret, like I don't use the <laughs> word secret. I have a process that you don't have. I have a process that you don't have. If you want my process, I'll share the process. But just because I give you the recipe to the cake doesn't mean you're going to make the cake look like, taste like my cake. So it's not the what. The what is Googleable in, in the vast. Now, there are some formulaic things that we do that are not Googleable, which is where I make the you know, which is where we make our right. money. That's why you would choose us versus someone else. And we can talk mm. to you about the formulaic pieces. And if you agree with how we think about those pieces, then maybe it makes us more attractive. However, the what mo the vast majority of what is Googleable. YouTubeable. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, on but somebody's it's, webinar. <laughs> right. But again, it's like, it's, it's, you're, you're highlighting your experience. You could have yep. a 10 steps on how to do something and somebody sees that like, that's great. Can you do it for us? <laughs> that's, I'm glad you know how to do it, but uh, can you do that for us? Cause I don't have the time or the, you know, plus you have, you're bringing to the table, the skills, like I said, you have your processes, you have your team or whatever. Uh, that's what they're also leveraging. I, I give an a re very recent example this morning, even um, a, a client that, um, you know, they have an established business. It's, uh, they do coaching and membership, all this stuff. And um, and they're asking for my help with their Google Analytics. They have Google Analytics uh, installed, <laughs> but they aren't confident that it's tracking everything that needs to be tracked. And they want to do some more, maybe some advanced stuff. And yeah. they're coming to me to number one, advise them, but also implement that. So I'm taking that off their plate. They could go out and try to figure it out. And, um, especially converting over to this new thing that Google's got GA four. Yeah. Um, so all that is something they could do, but it's better that they spend time on the things that they actually adds more value for them or they're, they're equipped to do. And we'll just take that off their plate. But yeah. uh, again, I could point them to an article that says, this is how you set it up. You yeah. can go do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but and no. you know, for the do it yourselfers, that's where coaching comes in because yeah. inevitably they'll do it themselves. They'll run into a problem. That's where coaching comes in. Right. That's I, I, yeah. when I coach people, they do it themselves. They just want to make sure that when they do it themselves, they don't start with a blank slate. And then when they run into the inevitable roadblock hurdle or what have you, when they followed your formula and then it didn't quite come out the way you discussed it, you're helping them ease their pain of frustration, anxiety, worry, or concern. Like coaching does it, it avoid coach coaching done right. If you offer that solve seven emotional problems, it's for no other reason. In my opinion, it's to help the person that wants the result who is ready to execute it in their business, a plan, a process, a procedure, whatever it may be. Our job, my job as a coach every week when I show up is to make sure I alleviate worry, frustration, fear, concern, doubt, right? And there's one more that's losing my mind. Uh, there's six of them, uh, fear, worry, doubt, frustration, anger, anger, and make sure they're not angry about, right? I'm pulling people off of those emotions. That's the coach's job is to help them through that emotion because they are journeying down a path that's not their expertise,
but they know right. they need to do it. Maybe they can't afford to hire you to build a website. Maybe right. they can't afford to hire an agency like mine to take over all the, the traffic, the lead gen and the conversion process. And that's okay. But if you want coaching, that means you're going to run into those problems because this ain't what you do. Right. This isn't what you and do. So my job as a coach is to make sure you get through those pockets of, of emotion that will tell you, uh, it's not going to work or I, I'm not good enough or all that self-talk. Yeah. It's actually, I lean into one of those, uh, even in my copy on my, on my, uh, web design site, uh, is the stress aspect of it. It's one of the 100%. things in my, in my messaging, uh, because we work with, we partner with other agencies and stuff. And, and one of the things that I figured out over the years is the stress that occurs when they either have a team they're trying to build in house or, you know, like a web development or design team, they don't know how to manage a creative team or they've tried to outsource and that's failed for a variety of reasons. They got all this stress when they should be working on other parts of their business. So part of my messaging is we'll relieve that stress. Let us come in. Let's talk about how we can structure this or help you and, and solve this problem. So you don't have to worry about it. It's just, I, I'll take care of that. You go out and do your sales or, or working on your marketing or helping other teams and uh, we'll handle that. So, yeah. so it's kind of that same thing as finding that, those pain points and mapping it to some issue uh, yeah. that can occur from that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is awesome. So I, I just wanted to just one more thing about emails, you know, like we we're kind of, we went into this. We, I feel like we could have many conversations, so I'm hoping this won't be your last. Yeah, we time stayed on the in show. we stayed in this channel of email, <laughs> and email is a good yeah. topic for me. It is, yeah. It's it's one of the topics I lead with with all of my clients. Um, customers come yeah. to us typically, and you've seen it, Matt. You've been building websites for a couple of decades now. You know that you come across these businesses that have these great branded websites, and if they've got customers, the fastest way to scale their growth online is through their email. So yeah, let's let's keep yeah. talking about email. We can certainly come back and talk about other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, so I wanted to, one thing we were talking about is the actual writing of them. And that's, that's something that I think, you know, I, I like you, I've been doing this a long time. I can sit down. It, it actually drives my, my VA, my virtual assistant a little nuts because she, she likes to know things ahead of time. But often when I do a blog post, I don't know it ahead of time. I just sit down and write it. So I can't um, even tell her what the topic's going to be sometimes on things we do. So uh, she's learned to, she's learned to deal with it. Uh, but um, even like, you know, when I do like solo episodes of podcasts or something, I, sometimes I don't know until an hour before. Um, yeah. But so it's easy for us. And, but one of the things that I learned early on, and I am not going to remember the, it was some kind of uh, program. Um, coaching program or something like that. And they talked about, uh, they taught conversational writing, basically. I don't know if that's exactly what they called it, but it was basically just writing like you talk on the internet. Yeah. And I I learned how to do that and had, it was a real game changer for me. I, I was I always liked writing. I did creative writing in college and whatever. Blah, blah, blah. But, um, but that was something where it's like, I don't need to create an a perfect essay here or something I'm going to turn into my English teacher. That's, that's perfect. The grammar's perfect. Everything's perfect. In fact, if you write even my social media, sometimes whatever, you know, an email, I, I use, um, you know, capital sometimes and I'll end with three dots and I'll do, I'll just do all <laughs> kinds of, you know, just like I'm t how I'm actually talking and yeah. I pause and I have some kind of way to pause. And I, I just talk like that. So like you, like your advice to record a video, it's very similar, but you can, if you can learn to do that while you're writing and just talk, you know, just kind of, and then read it back. A lot of times I'll you do it, write a couple paragraphs and then read it back out loud. Yeah. And does it make, does it sound like something you would say out loud? Um, those are, that's, those are great little tips to make it easier to, especially on the email side. It's, I, it's very easy to do that. It's not like articles or blog posts and stuff. Uh, yep. That's a great way to do. It. Is that kind of how you approach it too? Just, um, <clears throat> I, I I agree with you. I I've always taken the approach that I'm I'm not worried about the phonetics and and all of the things that my head of content like. So I used to have a head of uh, one of our our head of content development and management in our agency for a three year period of time. She would not let me, and and it sounds crazy, right? So I'm one of the founders of the company, and she 
wouldn't let me publish on social or send an email to our email <laughs> list without it going by her first. That's well, good to have she those a, people in your. <laughs> you, you need you those people. Ex, you need those people. Except that when they don't recognize the natural ebb and flow of mm. your your yeah. voice and your tone, and you can get too staunchy about that, right? So I believe I've always done well in marketing and my writing because I'm not trying to follow a formula. I'm not trying to follow a copywriting hack. I'm not trying to, you know, I do understand the power of headlines and copywriting. I've studied all the advertising greats yeah. from the Claude Hopkins to the David Ogilvy's. I've studied them all to the Dan Kennedy's, all of it. But there is a, a balancing act between the science of emotional response and direct response and the native natural tone of how we speak. Again, if I go to you and meet you at a conference and we're having a casual conversation, what would I say to you standing in front of you? And I don't think that needs to be taught. It just needs to be allowed in the way that you produce your work. You write your blog posts through a conversational tone. That's not gonna fly well for SEO. It's just not. It, is, it doesn't fly well for my SEO. But if I felt like saying it, I should say it and I should publish it because it mattered. That means this post isn't written for SEO, but this one over here might be. It takes a different style. It takes a different structure. Google's robots looking for a certain type of thing in that post. So mm. I think it's a balancing act of content that you create. You know, there is content that you need to do structurally for SEO purposes. And there's other things that it's important for thought leadership purposes. You know, this podcast has an ebb and a flow to it. It's not structured. It's an ebb and a flow of two people, you know, bouncing ideas and thoughts. And there, that needs to be a part of your marketing mix, social, you know, organic on your blog, how you speak in your brand, in your podcast, in your emails. I write all my emails. No one is allowed to send out. Well, I found out for a while, no one is allowed to send my name on an email unless I write it. Mm. So if the company sends the email, it comes from the team. It says Team Yoko Local or something like that. But if Daryl at Daryl at Daryl at Yoko Local Marketing sends one, it, I wrote it. Yeah. And I want audience to know. I want the audience to differ between, you know, um, and lately, as the market's been shifting with a lot of the buzz around AI, I've been writing a lot more emails in our agency to give my perspective because you want, people want to know, what do you think? How's this going to affect? Da, 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 right? Um, and so I've been writing a lot of my content and, and a lot of my opportunity to give my perspective. And that's some people would call that thought leadership, brand voice, expert thought, whatever. And I just think that that needs to be a, a simplified message, right? Um, trust is not built just based on facts and good mm -hmm. structure. It's built on opinion, expertise, things like, you know, what's your perspective? What's your experience tell you based on this new discovery? What does your experience tell you based on the, how the market's trending? There's no right answer for whether this is or isn't a recession right now. On paper, there's some numbers that'll tell you whether it is or it isn't, but a recession is personal. As far as I'm concerned, a recession is personal. Inflation is personal, right? My chips, I, I make jokes all the time. I've been talking about this for a while since all these inflation numbers have been popping off for the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. I eat Doritos. It's a, it's a bad habit, I know, but I eat Doritos regularly. <laughs> The bag was two ninety nine regularly. They they were two ninety nine, and then mm -hmm. as of late, they're four seventy something. Yeah, that's not eight <laughs> percent. That's, that's not eight percent, right? They said they said inflation was eight percent. That's not eight percent. That's not even eight percent a month. Um, but here's the, bags, the point: the bag shrink, shrinking too. And the bag right, <laughs> right. And my friend works at Frito Lay and told me they they shrink the bags at least yeah. in Frito Lay they shrunk the bag by 12% too. So it's way, it's way more than most people know. Right. But that's not inflation to me. I've, I've reached a place economically where that doesn't, mm. yeah. Am I right, not, am right. I happy that it's 470? No. Do I buy less of them? No. Why? Because I'm going to buy them. Right. Yeah. Um, I went to another funny story. Just there's a fast food restaurant that a lot of people will know of perhaps. I don't know if it's all around the country or not, but in any case, there was, there's three items that our family gets when we go to this place once or twice a month. And it normally comes to 28 bucks. One day I showed up, it was 38 bucks. That's not 8%. So the point of the conversation is all of this stuff is opinion, relevance, and experiential. So right. in your writing, 
is it a is it a recession is it not a recession it depends on where you're coming from so it's trying to attack it from a couple different perspectives what some people might think and how do you address their concern there and from others that are thriving um you know i'm i'm on the opposite whenever there's a problem in the economy we get more aggressive with marketing and advertising because I know everybody's going to pull back their budgets because they're scared because that's the human nature is to conserve and be cautious because we don't know. The issue, though, is what what I understand about supply and demand is that when supply increases, price goes down. So we leverage an arbitrage when people get scared. I, I'd hate to say it because Warren Buffett's famous for it. But when everyone's buying, you should be selling. Mm. Right. When everyone's selling, you should be buying. Why? Because you can't just do what the herd does and expect to get ahead. So I remember when the pandemic happened, we launched a massive ad campaign the very month that we got locked down. But you know mm. why? Because I realized all the advertisers were going to be hoarding cash. Yeah. Guess what that meant? There's a lot more inventory available for cheap prices. So I like, I love playing the leverage and arbitrage game when it's available. And of course, when it's not available, you pay higher prices like everybody else. Like right now, it is higher prices for everything. So anyway, a little bit off the topic of, of email, but in writing con conversationally, I think that conversational writing should add your opinion, your experience to the topic and how that comes out is how it comes out from your perspective. And I think that's what people find value in. People yeah. find value in your perspective. Yeah. I think they connect with you more too, because your personality is coming out in it and you know, yeah. you, when it's coming from you and, um, yeah, it's, it's, and people, yeah, will recognize that too, a little easier. If they, they, if they'll get to know your style over time as well. And, yeah. uh, that's yeah, great stuff. Yeah. I want to start talking about the economy now. I would go, no, my wife and I, you know, we, you know, we, when we go shopping, we recognize every, you know, you have to get two like, uh, cereal boxes now, uh, because to get the same amount you got before um, and all these things. And it's like, we still, we still get the stuff though. But, but I, what I often have on the car ride home is I say, imagine the people though, right. that are in fixed incomes or yep. that don't aren't in a position like us, how they're yep. affected. Yeah. That's what's, and, and, yeah. And, and to that, to that comment is part of the reason why I do what I do. Like part of the reason I do what I do is look, I started from nothing. Um, mm -hmm. I had a hard time when, before I started in the mortgage industry, I had a really tough personal life issue. I was living on my grandmother's couch. I know what it's mm -hmm. like to start a business with yeah. no money in your pocket. I started the mortgage business with 200 bucks and I know what it's like. I was living on my grandmother's couch, rest in peace, uh, nanny. She let me live on her couch. The reason why I had to live on her couch was because my mom was living there and my great uncle who was uh, uh, quadriplegic was there and uh, he was bedridden. I, I just needed a place to lay my head while I figured out my life at that time. Right. So I know what it's like to start something from nothing. So I have tons of empathy for economic hardship. I have tons of empathy for life happening, you know, bad things happening to good people. Like that's something that I experienced in my own life. I never, you know, we all wake up one day and find ourselves in some situation where like, uh, how do we end up here? Like yeah. nobody woke up thinking they were ever going to go through this thing called a pandemic. We all woke up to that reality. I, I host a show called the Mindship Podcast. And mind shift is a thought process. It's a formula for making peace with the facts, whatever those facts are, right? Your facts are your facts. That's why I said a recession is personal. Mm -hmm. The recession to some is not a recession to others. Right. So you make peace with the facts. But number two, where most people get stuck, the ones that are on fixed income, the ones that are maybe less forward, they, they haven't made number step number two in the process, which is they haven't made a new decision about what to do to change mm. their facts or mm. to advance from those facts. I said it before, my agency, we lost 60% of our revenue when the pandemic happened. When, when lockdown happened, 60% of our revenue disappeared because those were, we had clients that were deemed non-essential by the mm. government. Mm -hmm. yeah. There was nothing Oof. they could do. So we lost 60% of our business in 14 days. Those were the facts. My partner and I sat down and said, okay, what is our new decision about what we're going to do? Because we can't let all these people go because this is temporary, whatever the heck it is. We don't know what it is, but we don't know how long it's going to last, but this ain't permanent. 
step three then is come up with a plan. So you got to make a new decision. Most people won't make a new decision about what they want next in their life. Step three, make a plan. And maybe this is where coaching comes in, consulting comes in, reaching out to experts. You may not know how to create a plan. That's why you might need a coach. You might need some help. Again, there's plenty of resources, YouTube, Google, all these things. And then once you have a plan, you got to do the fourth thing, which is where people oftentimes where I, I find people is that they failed to execute the plan that either was given to them by someone who was successful at the thing they wanted to do, or they failed in their consistency, or as I said earlier, their patience with the process and their persistence in the process. I tell people all the time, success is boring. It's actually routine and (laughs) mundane because it's repeating the, it's repeating things over and over again, over a long period of time. It is not reinventing the wheel every other Thursday. Yeah. You can give people a formula, but a lot of people are really good at getting started, but not sticking with it uh, long term. Yeah. Because they get started and they hope that it's going to be a magic show in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's not the way it works. Well, like I said, I could just keep diving into this stuff, but we should probably wind it down a little bit. Uh, Why don't we end this way by you letting us know uh, a little bit more about how, if somebody listening to this, um, is excited about what you're talking about here and wants to reach out to you, where can they find you on the World Wide Web? Easiest place to, to find me is uh, at my website, DarylEvans.net. And from there, you can find all the stuff, my agency, the podcast, all my free seminars and training, nice. all that stuff. Uh, whatever you might need is available as you see fit. So thanks for having me, Matt. It's really been a pleasure. Always talking to another industry veteran is um, it's an easy conversation because there's so much like-mindedness going on in the conversation. So I really appreciate your, your journey and you hosting uh, the time today for this discussion. Awesome. Thank you, Daryl. Till next time. Thanks builders crew. That's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that again, please subscribe if you haven't already and give us a thumbs up if we deserve it. If you want to comment on this episode's page, provide me with requests on topics for future episodes, or inquire about being a guest, please find your way to thebuilders.fm. You can contact me there or add a comment under these show notes. Now a word from our sponsor, my agency, Unified Web Design. We build custom websites, features, we maintain websites, we work with agencies to fulfill their web design and development needs, and more. If you are interested in our services or are looking for an agency to work with as a partner to build awesome sites for your clients, feel free to reach out to me at unifiedwebdesign.com. There's a handy contact me link at the top, fill out that form and it will open a ticket and that ticket will find its way to me. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.